<laughs> I'm not a bragger or a gloater, but, <laughs> but I may be in the better place right now. It was like 84 today and sunny, and my governor is Ron DeSantis. So. Yeah, but did you get three inches of snow overnight and have to dig your car out? <laughs> nope, that did not happen here. But the traffic along A1A this weekend was terrible because everybody was at the beach. And so it was, it was like slow, well, slow going. You couldn't really well, get there. Well, thanks for joining us, Tina. Please, please come back and visit real soon. Um, Ron DeSantis, no, but so Ron DeSantis, tell me about what it's like to live with a governor who actually has your best interests at heart. I mean, that, that's so refreshing. It feels good. And it's not just that we feel he has our best interest at heart. I, I just, you know, I look at elected officials in general, from dog catcher on the way up to president. And in my lifetime, I can probably count on one hand, any of them that I felt like really put the people first or understood that power was with the people. I, I can't count that many. And Ron DeSantis is, is on that hand. So it's a pretty big deal. You're not kidding. Um, so you you guys speak with him fairly regularly, right? I mean, I don't mean like on the phone, but he kind of he kind of gets your um, input on a lot of things. And especially when it comes to parental parental rights, what kind of things do you do you tell him? I mean, I don't you know, we don't need details, but at a very high level. What kind of things do you convey to him? Yeah. So, you know, the biggest meeting we had with him was just last week. I'm not sure if you caught that in the news. Uh, we were invited actually to the table to have a discussion about school board races for 2024 for the state of Florida. And there was, was a picture. There was a picture on social media. And I guess it was from his point of view. Yeah, it, we we drove up there to discuss with him his role and his team's role in the school board elections in 2024. He wanted us to attend to give our feedback. I mean, obviously, our chapters are the ones that are on the ground and going to the school board meetings and and keeping a close eye on, on school board candidates. And so uh, he had his list already. His team had his list when we got there and they asked for our input and feedback. Uh, we shared some information uh, with people in the future that our chapters would also like to see um, gone. So he said this is his round one list and there'll be a round two and possibly a round three list. So uh, it's it's interesting to see. We may not always agree on every single candidate. Uh, our chapters, you know, they, they all function a little bit different. But for the last election, I think uh, we were 99% aligned on the candidates that we've supported and wanted to see go. So I'm sure it'll be close again this time going around. Oh, so you're breaking some news there. So he unveiled a 10-point education plan, right? Was that part of the the agenda for that day? Yeah, we didn't dig too far into it, but I did see the press release and have it out. It, uh, you know, he, he's he's spot on. He's a dad of young kids. His wife, obviously, a mom of young kids, and so it, it's not a hard, it's not a far stretch for them to empathize with what's going on in public schools and what, what we're facing, honestly, not just even in schools, but in our culture right now that's impacting our families. And so, you know, he he doesn't necessarily need to hear from us. I think he can just turn you know turn in his house and say, "Hey, Casey." <laughs> You know, what's the problem with teaching five-year-olds about gender ideology? And I'm sure she probably gives him a good earful. So uh, he's a man that listens to his wife is what I think. 
Oh, then he's a smart man, right? Yeah, um, of course. I, I mean, the the only the only real surprise is that there aren't more governors that do that. I mean, for example, so one of his ten point plans is that he's um, prohibiting state schools from supporting programs or activities related to critical race theory. Um, this is something that's kind of really damaging to young minds, and it's it's something that doesn't really belong in schools. I mean, it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with mathematics or, you know, uh, composing a proper essay or, you know, whatever other traits you need to kind of function in society. And yet it's been injected into our education curriculum. Um, and it's on something every level. that on every level, and it's something that's really damaging, isn't it? It's very damaging. We have stories all across the country of parents that it always starts with just an, you know, a parent that's just driving, usually driving their kid home, kids in the back seat, and the kid says something. And that's where, that's where it starts in every family. Uh, a biracial child in Nashville, Tennessee, for example, said, I really, uh, I wish I was darker. I hate my white part to his mom. And she was like, what, what are you talking about? And well, she dug in and found out it was lessons in schools, a social nine week social justice um, segment that was happening in their English language, language arts class, a second grader. And so th that's how it always starts. And then the mom is, is awake and digs in and finds out what it is. And it turns out it's always it's always this critical theory in one way or another that's been infused in history, in language arts classes, in arts, in science and even in mathematics, word problems, it's really, uh, it's really bizarre, but even in math. Right. Isn't, isn't two plus two equaling four is based in white supremacy or something like that, right? That's the... Getting the right answers is, is supremacy. It's, it's really ridiculous how far it's gone and how many people have bought into it and how many good natured teachers that have gone into teaching because they love and care about children that are being trained in this stuff. And they're told, you know, that it's bad to think the old, old way and you need to be more accepting of wrong answers and more accepting of all of these things that, you know, in, instinctively and intuitively we know are wrong. Uh, or you know, we know are right, like good, right answers. You know, they're, they're, they're flipping truth. That's what it is. Truth is under attack. They're flipping it on its head. It's not only confusing to adults, it's terrifying to children. It's destabilizing them. And it's why we're having so many problems in this country. I mean, they're after a complete inversion of society. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, so many parents have become aware of what's going on because of the lockdowns. And so, you know, a parent will be passing by her child, her son, her daughter sitting at the dining room table attending class, and she'll overhear something and she'll say, hey, you know, wait a second. And so I started thinking about this. If, if COVID never happened, do we know, do we find out what's going on here? Do we know, uh, you know, the, the, the poison that's being fed to our children? No, because people wouldn't listen. I, you know, I served on a school board, so did Tiffany. And I, I didn't know the extent of the problem at the time. Uh, but I was my I started I started learning like I my eyes started to be open. I had learned while I was on the school board about the 16, 1619 project. And I, I, you know, I was like, this this doesn't feel right. Something is wrong here. I reached out to senior staff. I'm like, are we teaching that in our district? And the, the leader of our senior staff said, no, but it's really, really great. We should look into it. And I was like, wait, no, 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 no. I, I looked at it and I don't think it's really great. Right. And so stuff was starting to come. 
But, but for example, in Florida, uh, whenever you adopt a textbook, it has to go before the public by state statute at least two times. So you have to have a public meeting. You have to announce it to uh, in the paper, in the local record, you know, the, rec- the paper of record that you're having the meeting. You have to have the meeting. As chair, you have to gavel the meeting and say, now is the time we're going to talk about, you know, there's actual formal language, but now's the time we're going to talk about adopting this history textbook. And then you have to ask. Is there anyone in the audience that would like to talk about this? And you have to pause and you have to do it two times by law. You have to say it twice and then you have to come back a week or two later and you have to do the whole process again because they it's transparency laws. They want to make sure parents are involved. I would every single time that would happen. I put it all over my social media. We're reviewing textbooks. It's open to the public. I need your help. Uh, I would put it social. I would send out email blasts to all my you know voters. No one shows up. No one showed up. It was so frustrating. And I knew there was concerns in some of these books, but, you know, one school board member can't read 12 years of history books as you go to adopt them in a month or 30 day window. You need to have it. You need to have a team of people. It's one of the reasons we started Moms for Liberty, because we knew as a team, as a group, um, you could get eyes on this stuff together. So tell us, tell us a little bit, perfect segue. Tell us a little bit about Moms for Liberty and the success that you guys have had over the last couple of years. We're two years old, two years and two months old. We launched here in Florida, Tiffany Justice and I, like I said, former school board members. We didn't even know each other, but we knew of the problems, the same problems because of our experiences on the school board. So we got a wild idea to launch this organization. We were just going to be in Florida, help Florida parents organize, push back against some of the stuff. And now we're two years, two months later, and we have 275 chapters in 44 states and 115,000 active members. What we are doing on the ground is, what they are doing on the ground is remarkable. Uh, they've now formed into legislative committees in each state. They're impacting legislation. Um, they're sitting down with, you know, their elected officials all the way up to their governors, and they're having conversations about their concerns. They're being heard. They're having influence. Last year alone, the chapters endorsed in 500 school board races. We won 275 seats for parental rights candidates in, in across the country. Uh, we flipped like 56 school boards, including Miami-Dade, Jacksonville, Charleston, South Carolina. I think we took like six of nine seats or something just remarkable outcomes so far for such a young organization that was started in this room right here one of my back bedrooms one of my like i have many back bedrooms my back bedroom uh with a box of t-shirts and five hundred dollars well i mean it's certainly something to be to be proud of so that that record on election night um that kind of speaks for itself i think but tell me a little bit about do people vote this issue in the i mean the last election did people set out to the their polling station um with the mindset hey i gotta get this junk out of my children's schools yes for years years even before i was on the school board i would watch presidential debates i would watch primary debates and i would be on my twitter account with my five followers back then and just say Education mentioned one time the whole night. Like, what is wrong with these people? Like, this is such an important issue in America. And it's not on the front line of any of these elections. Used to frustrate me. Running for school board. Oh, so frustrating. Nobody even knows the questions they ask at the doors when you're knocking doors. Like, 
what school are you running for? No, it's not a school. It's a school board. It's the whole county. I mean, and these are super voters, people that never miss an election. They know nothing about school board, about how education is front and center now. It is not just for school board candidates, but all the way up to those that are uh, running for president. If you look at what um, President Trump has come out with, he's come out with an education plan already uh, early in his campaign. So this is something I think that all candidates at all levels are going to be focused on now. Tell me about harnessing this power of um, of this segment of the of the population. Has it has it exceeded? I suspect the answer is yes, but has it uh, exceeded your expectations, or did you kind of know all along that real change could be affected if you just got organized the right way? I've known that all along. I did not know that Moms for Liberty was going to turn into this, I, 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 and especially so quickly. I, I really couldn't have expected this. If you ask Tiffany, my co-founder, she confidently says, oh, I knew. I knew all along, but I'm not sure that I believe her because, you know, it's frustrating. You're in your own little town and your own little school board, can't, you know, trying to make change, can't get people to listen. And now we have such a national platform. It, it's just remarkable. How about this fight? How is the fight going against um, the teachers unions? Because you've been very vocal. And this kind of surprised me because I really had no idea. Um, you're very vocal about the fact that they're, they're the behemoth that, were, that, were, that kind of stands in the way of getting these things out of, out of schools. And they have agendas that really have nothing to do with education as well. Yeah, do you really want to get me started on that? Do you have how long do you have here? The, the as teachers long as you union, need. Yeah, yeah, teachers unions are horrible. Period. End of story. They are they're a horrible, they're a nightmare, they have ruined public education. And anybody that doesn't know that by now uh just needs to go, you know, they need to go Google just for a minute what the major national teachers unions agendas were this past summer. Check it out. They, they weigh in and they vote on, you know, issues like abortion, uh, foreign policy, if Israel should be a state. You know, these are all very important issues for a second grade school teacher in Podunk, Wyoming. It's, it is, um, and her job. And if she's making enough money, you know, they don't address any of those things anymore. They don't address the fact that two thirds of American school children can't read. They're not reading on grade level. They don't address the fact that uh, we have the lowest math scores in the history of the United States right now, that we have the lowest reading scores since the 80s. Uh, you know, public education is in very foul shape and the future of America is very bleak if our kids can't read. And yet the teachers union, teachers are fighting about abortion and issues like that. And if you look at like Los Angeles teachers union during COVID, they refused to let them open the schools until they agreed to defund the police. In California, for example, they put $2 million in school board elections this past November, $2 million. And so we ran candidates in several counties in California. You know how much money we had to run against them with? Usig, $0. We won, we won the races we won in California and in 49 states with $0. Just moms upset, gathering together out knocking doors, spreading the word on social media, doing what they could do. But as long as you've got $0 against $2 million, or in our case, $0 against honestly a half a billion dollars, which is their, their national budget, just for one of the national teachers unions, um, you know, we're always going to be kind of fighting this with one arm time behind our back. But they've underestimated the power of moms. You know, money would help, obviously, but it's not necessary. We can still beat them. You know, th that's kind of fascinating to me. I wonder if if that's not why 
your organization really terrifies them? Because if they've got really, I mean, what amounts to unlimited budgets, if you're talking about a school board race and you guys have nothing and you're still winning, um, then that, that probably makes them think, wait a second, we've got a real problem here. That is why our email is inbox is full of threats and hate and violence and name calling and all of the things it is because of, of that exactly. Uh, they want to destroy us. You know, just just Google Moms for Liberty right now if you want to. You know, you will see it's story after story and memes made about us burning books and that we're racists and that we're bigots. Like they have tried, they 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 try a name, they keep throwing it at us for like two months. All of national media picks it up. It doesn't stick because we're not those things and there's no proof and we just keep going. And then they try on a new name and they, they throw that on us. So now they pile them up, right? You know, by, by now we've got six names that we're called. We just don't care. It's, it's not who we are. They can keep calling us that and we just keep moving forward. And it's terrifying to them. Imagine if we do get money, even half of what they get one day. Imagine well, what that's going to look like. Don't think that that's not a question that they ask themselves. And that's why they kind of marshal all these forces against you, including, by the way, the mainstream media, because that's exactly what worries them. Wait a second. If if this thing kind of gains momentum and this turns into a, a snowball that's rolling down a hill, look out. We're not going to be able to stop it. That's that's what they're thinking. And they're right. Fair. They should be scared. <laughs> they should absolutely be scared. Um, so I back to unions for a moment, because I was I was surprised when I asked you a question during our last conversation and I said, you served on school boards. Who are the people that are that you served alongside with? Um, are they people who are looking for higher office? Are they people who are they concerned parents? And you said, nope, they're all union members. And that kind of that shocked me. Um, but I guess that's why they take up those positions so they can affect these changes that they want to affect. I mean, this platform sounds like a platform of a political party, not a teacher's union. Who do you, if you have $2 million to put in school board races and you're a teacher's union, who are you going to put your $2 million behind? Mm. You're going to put it behind members of your teacher's union. And why wouldn't you? It's legal. It's okay. And so you elect your members. Sometimes it's the former teacher's union president. You elect them to the school board. And then who goes to the negotiating table with taxpayers' money? The teacher's union members you just elected and they, oh, they're sitting on the school board and they negotiate with the teacher's union. Right. Who's losing there? The taxpayer's losing, but who else is losing? Parents and kids and families because they're not just negotiating on salary. They're negotiating on all types of things. I mean, our, our, like our contract here in my county is like this big, it, all kinds of stuff are in there, all kinds of things that impact children and their learning. And there's no one there uh, representing them in those discussions anymore. Hmm. Tell us, just to kind of drive the point home, tell us the kinds of things that you guys are fighting against, because I heard you tell a story once, um, a really kind of maddening story about a mother and her daughter out in California and daughter's name was was Abigail. Do you recall that story? I do. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, that's been... It's a tough story to hear and I'm sure it's a tough story to tell over and over. Yeah. And I haven't, we haven't talked about that, um, that, that mother and that family in a while. Uh, the daughter had shown sign. She had some depression, I think, 
throughout the years and the mom had been trying to help her in various ways. Um, I can't recall a lot of the details right now of, of the the series of events that happened, but to shorten the story, uh, the state ended up stepping in and they offered to pay for her. She started having some gender identity um, issues and the state offered to, to address those in the manner that they thought was going to help her. And um, they ended up cutting the mother out of her life and not even letting the mother come visit her uh, because the mother wouldn't affirm the, the new gender and the new name. And, um, uh, you know, the hearing, hearing the mother tell the story is heartbreaking because she wakes up one morning and just, you know, a sense of doom and desperation and really wants to get to her daughter and she's not allowed to see her. Um, and she found out later that day that her daughter had committed suicide in the care of the state. And so it's, it's, it's just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's the kind, so, you know, uh, it's the kind of thing that, that makes people realize that the issues that you guys are fighting on are very real and have very, very real consequences. Um, it seems to me like the end game here is to cut parents out of the picture and replace them with the state. Who knows better? That right, Exactly. That's that's what's at stake here. This is not some theoretical kind of argument about whether or not we should discuss certain things that, that happened in history or whether or not we should leave them out. They when 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 it's said that they are coming for the kids, um truer words have never been spoken. They are literally coming for the kids. This is what this is what the goal is. Yeah, our mission statement is to save America by unifying, educating, and empowering parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. Uh, some of the other stuff is, is kind of a distraction, but that's our mission, and that's what we are laser-focused on. Uh, because we know once the government inserts itself, whether it be a school board member, a state law, or a federal law, we know once that supersedes a parent's right to raise their child we're done. The family relationships are done. The future of America is done. Honestly, the future of families and society, society will be done. And so that's where, that's the final line. That's where we stand. I mean, the future really is at stake here. I'm curious about the interaction between parents these days and their school boards, because for a long time, it was marked with nothing but contempt. You know, parents would be at, at the podium trying to address these folks and they'd be, you know, kind of on their phone or they'd get up and walk out. Um, has that changed? I'm sure it's changed when, if they're the personnel on the school board has changed, but even where school board. I was boards, just going to say, yeah, with 275 seats, as a matter of fact, the relationships are really good. <laughs> <laughs> but even the school boards that haven't flipped, are they kind of, are they, um, are they coming to a little bit? Are they like, Hey, wait a second, we better start paying attention here? Or are they still just kind of, uh, you know, being hardheaded about it? Yeah, there's still that, you know, there's those, they just still there, dig their heels in. Um, I don't think you see it as much in the news anymore. There's other things taking up some of the news and people have gotten to the point where they find it pointless to go and try to get them to listen to them. And so that's why a lot of our chapters have elevated these issues to the state level, trying to get laws in place to protect their and defend their parental rights. We have 13 states right now that have a parental bill of rights, either in the House or Senate. 
Uh, so we are we're really looking forward to some of those making it through this year and joining Florida and having a parental bill of rights on record. I love the fact that you guys, um, you know, it's not just some kind of you, you have your headquarters in Florida and you just release these edicts from on high. You guys are on the ground in all these counties and all these states. Um, I know that you spend a lot of time traveling. Tell the folks about these town halls that you guys put on, because I think it's great that you guys are accessible and you guys are out there. You're in the communities you're answering questions. And by the way, you have been very vocal about the fact that you are inviting people who don't believe that they agree with you to come on down, ask their questions, and have a conversation. Imagine. It sounds like, it sounds like maybe you, did you catch some of our Iowa town hall? The I So yes, I, I <laughs> as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I did. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a great one. I did fly out to Iowa for that. We held it in Des Moines. The point of these town halls is to give parents a voice. So we don't go in and talk at or talk to from the national organization. We just go in and help connect everybody. We use you know the impact and the influence that we've created as an organization to reach out to state leaders and invite them. And we help our local chapters gather and put this event on. And so our chapters in Iowa got together. They all came to Des Moines. Uh, we held the town hall. Like you said, it was open to the public. Please, all we put all viewpoints welcome. We get a lot of security just in case, but all viewpoints welcome. We invited Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa, and she attended. And I think we had eight or nine legislators on the stage uh, listening and replying back to their concerns. And then another seven or eight in the audience that um, that were would have, would have agreed to be on stage, but we tried to limit to, to those that were involved in education issues. Uh, so anyways, it was a great night. Uh, a few hundred people were there. About 12 people had to be removed for just acting like crazy people. But there were some good um, questions that came from other sides of the aisle and were up for debate and discussion. And I appreciate that people want to come out and share their concerns. Well, I, th- I think that it's a real mark of, um, you know, you try not to use the words right and wrong because they're so subjective. But the people trying to censor debate I don't think that you can believe that they have your best interests at heart. The people who are putting themselves out there and say, hey, you know, come on down. Let me know what you think. Um, Let's hear your ideas. I think my ideas can stand up to the slings and the arrows. Very often, I feel like those are the people who, um, who have a little bit more integrity, I think. That's what I think. I believe America will be better. School districts will be better. Better. All government will be better when everything is open up for debate and on the floor. I think that's how America was created and founded. Our public education system was developed in that way. It's very unique. I think Canada has a similar system, but most countries don't have a system where parents get community members, taxpayers get a, a say at all about what's going on in education. Yeah, our system is purposely set up that way. And so to be good citizens and be good stewards of our money and be um, good parents that send your children off to these schools, you have to be involved. You have to take part. You have to debate these issues. You know, it's it's really disgusting and sickening to me when people want to shut that down, shut off your microphone, throw you out, um, just call you names. That's not helpful and useful. Like debate it out with me, you know, like debate the issue. Don't just, just don't call me racist. Let's just have a discussion about why I feel this way. Like just you're racist. Shut up. That, that doesn't get, that doesn't get us anywhere at all. May the best idea, may the best idea win. Um, 
Tell me your thoughts on, I think we touched on this in our last conversation. Tell me your thoughts on homeschooling, that phenomenon. I think if you can homeschool your children, you should probably homeschool your children. It's, I have seen some great homeschool family, you know, just, it just, it's beautiful. You're the parent, you get to spend time with your child, children. Um, my son went to a hybrid school for a couple years, which is homeschool two days a week and then in school three days a week. But you're, you're really hands on with the curriculum and because you have to move from home, it's, 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 it's a unique model. That's really interesting. I think every family is different. Every child is different. Uh, some will excel in that environment. Some need a little bit more structure showing up in a classroom. Some parents need more structure sending their kids off to show up in a classroom. So I believe that parents should be able to, like all options should be on the table. Uh, you know, I, I've had children and they're all different and some excel in some ways and some don't in other ways and parents are very different. So all options should be open up to parents. Tell us about the importance of being um, a joyful, a joyful warrior, as you, put, you guys put it. Yeah, you know, the world is so ugly and angry right now. Our children see enough contention and hate. Uh, we're not going to sit down and let what's happening to our country happen. Um, and so we have to stand up and fight. But we are going to do it with a smile on our face because our children are watching. And, uh, you know, it, you just you get a lot more accomplished with what is it? Honey? And lemons or whatever that saying is catch more flies with right you catch yeah more yeah flies you catch more flies with honey uh, there you go thank you <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean i it's it's just the absolute truth i think and i think that um your organization is turning into an institution that kind of proves that that kind of proves that every day nobody wants to deal with people that are angry and miserable you know i sat on a school board if someone came to me with a real concern i listened and i tried to help if I didn't agree, whatever, like if you're a concerned parent and you need help, I'm going to try to help you. Um, but if you came up to the podium and you were threatening me and you were nasty and I probably would still help you because I tried to be a public servant, but I may not have done it as willingly or, or went as far as I could have just because, you know, like who wants to deal with people like that? It's, it's, it's not, it's not somebody you want to spend your time with talking to more. It's not, you don't want to help people the way you do when they, when they really ask for your help. It's simply human nature. Um, in the few minutes that we have left here, Tina, please tell the folks how they can get involved because it seems to me, and I don't know, but it seems to me that it really couldn't be any easier. You guys have simplified the process down to its core. And I think it's, um, it's yielding great results. So easy. Momsforliberty.org. Big map on the front page of your website. Look for your county. If it's yellow, it means there's a chapter. Click on it, connect with them. If it's blue, it means you need to start a chapter or find a friend to start a chapter. And you click on it and click start a chapter. Very easy. That's that's really all there is to it. And all the change comes comes after that. And it does come. It is coming. Yes. I for Our poor chapter chairs are like, it's a fire hose coming at me. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> Welcome to the fight. Keep it's going. The, exactly right. It's the water, the water of freedom. Well, Tina, thanks, thanks very much for um for dropping by and give us giving us an update on this. Um, we look forward to having you back on real soon. Appreciate it.